0: Let's go around the horn, and I'll assume if you give me a go, you've got no instrumentation problems. Booster? Go flight. Retro? Go flight Fighter? Go flight Control? Tell Go.
1: TNC. Econ? Capcom? Go.
0: Surgeon? Go. ONC? Go. ASC? Go. go. Network? Go. You got everything up? Go. Hello, I'm Ian Christie, and this is Terranauts. Before we begin today's episode, we have a quick word from our sponsor, MDA. Serving the world from its Canadian home and global offices, MDA is an international space mission partner and a robotics, satellite systems, and geo-intelligence pioneer with 50 years of experience developing custom technology solutions to some of the world's biggest challenges. Today, they're leading the charge towards viable moon colonies, enhanced Earth observation, communication in a hyperconnected world, and more. To learn more, visit mda.space. Hello, I'm Ian Christie, and this is Terranauts. Today's guest on Terranauts represents what I think is a classic Terranaut story. Uh, Des Power didn't start out with any dreams of going to space. Des Power started out with a really big problem to solve. Uh, a problem of almost a uh, titanic proportions, you could say. Eventually, he figured out that going to space might be a way of solving that problem, so he started going to space, and he's been looking back, literally, at the Earth for over 20 years. Des Power is the vice president of remote sensing at Corps, and today he manages a team of 40 that is using space-based data to do everything from detecting objects at sea and vehicles on land, to tracking ice conditions, to wetlands and water quality monitor. Des and his team are constantly finding new ways to find out more about our planet, by looking back at it from space. And that makes him a Terranaut in my book. Des Power, welcome to Terranauts. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, so, so one of the things that people will immediately notice if they know what they're listening to is um, that you are from a particular portion of the world off the east coast of Canada. Yes, from, uh, I'm from
1: a, a community called North River in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. It's a small community, uh, about 45 minutes outside St. John's. Uh, The community has a beautiful view of uh, Conception Bay. And uh, when I grew up there, uh, often in the spring, you would look over the bay and you would see sea ice and icebergs, which uh, seemed like a normal occurrence to me because I grew up with it. But uh, I guess a lot of people get enamored
0: by it. So Right. So you weren't, you didn't grow up thinking about going to space. You weren't one of these kids who looked <laughs> up. That's what you were going to do with your no, life.
1: No, in fact, uh, my first thought was uh, was being a doctor. Um, yes. But I think all kids have these thoughts of being a
0: doctor at some point. You might yeah. have been put there by your mother, if you're like Yeah,
1: to. no, it was, uh, <laughs> I thought about it, but uh, I got grounded in about grade nine, and I uh, thought about doing computer engineering. Oh, uh, yes. Around the time, uh, computers uh, was... Um, early 80s uh, computers were just coming into it and i just got enamored by it and i said well that's
0: that's the career for me you sound sound a lot like me so so what did you do for an education well
1: i uh i like i said i um i figured i was going to do some sort of engineering i figured on computer but uh when i when i got into it i realized that uh uh, I would do electrical and then uh, once I got deep into the computer side of it I realized I wanted to have nothing to do with that and uh, <laughs> I did something which I considered to be or, or at least uh, one of my professors challenged me you, you just had to do the hardest thing you can imagine so, so I, I, I started to delve into um, um,
0: electromagnetics and uh, radio yes. frequency engineering. So. Yeah, well, RF engineering would be what a lot of people consider to be the hardest thing they've ever tried. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a black art, as far uh, as I It do.
1: is black art, and it's so uh, abstract that it's it's hard to see. Well, you don't see it, right? It's, it's exactly. the radiation that you don't see, so.
0: So, so you get interested in radar, and so what does a boy from Newfoundland do with a newly acquired expertise in radar? Well, well, you know, we're, we're lucky here. Um, I uh,
1: work in the city of St. John's, and we're very lucky because we there, there is a critical mass of radar expertise here. And, yes. and there's a good reason for that. Um, yes. uh, St. John's, uh, in particular on the East Coast, is a pretty foggy place. In fact, uh, yes. the Grand Banks is uh, perhaps the, uh, the foggiest place on Earth. Uh, okay. As a consequence to that, you need radar to be able to see. Uh, yeah. visible electromagnetic energy doesn't penetrate through clouds and fog no. uh but microwaves do so microwaves are very useful in being able to see in the dark and in right. the fog
0: and and I alluded to to the you know the problem of titanic proportions at the beginning there there really is a problem off the coast of Newfoundland um there are rather large icebergs that if you're steaming through foggy seas you don't get to see yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. In fact,
1: well, you can see them these days. You you can. Um back in the Titanic years, though, um, radar hadn't been invented. Yeah. As a consequence, um, you know, you had lookouts to see uh what right. was coming and they just didn't see it soon enough. So right. uh had had the technology been available, um the Titanic would easily have averted disaster. Uh cool. unfortunately they came well before the time of the radar. Right. Um, you know what? Uh, radars uh, are um, mandated on every uh, maritime vessel uh, right. of a certain size, and uh, right. and in spite of that, vessels still uh, run into each other, and really. uh, at times do run into icebergs. But, well, it's, but it's, guess, it's a rare occurrence now.
0: Yeah. So so it's a rare occurrence if if you're in a vessel that's moving and can avoid an iceberg. But but um, Newfoundlanders have a bit of an acquaintance with a different kind of seagoing vessel. Um, you know, really, for the last, it must be almost 50 years now, uh, Newfoundland has had a very vibrant offshore oil and gas industry. Uh, uh, yeah, in fact, when I was in high school, it was
1: uh, it was starting to take off. Um, yeah. When I was in uh, uh, Hibernia, uh, which is the, the first operational uh, oil field to, to operate in the presence of sea ice and icebergs, um, that was discovered when I was uh, was in high school. And yes. uh, I, I always that was also something I was thinking of I should consider. Um, but eventually, like I said, I got into electrical engineering, but it's 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 a big thing here to um, consider on that uh, when they did discover Hibernia, yes, there was no platforms out there that they were operating in the presence of these big right. icebergs. So right. so how do you design a structure? to right? be able to uh, withstand the impact of, of uh, rather large icebergs. It's a very, yes, very difficult it problem. In,
0: in, on the foggiest place on the planet. Right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, sure. Seems like a sensible thing to me to do. So, yeah. so you ended up using your expertise in radar to essentially help with that, that problem, with how to detect icebergs in the offshore. Was that really where you got your start? Right, so I, my, my first job
1: uh, was, and my current job, uh, my first job was <laughs> with, with this uh, organization called SeaCore. Uh, we were established right. in '75 to look at um, issues with respect to uh, offshore oil and gas development. Um, and so, we, we one of our groups is remote sensing. We we focused a lot on radar. Uh, back when we were first formed, we looked a lot at terrestrial radar, like ma- ma- marine radar, like other right. types that are on vessels. Uh, right. But uh, around the time of uh, RadarSat One launch, the Canadian right. space radar uh, satellite that was launched in '95, we started yes. looking at uh, uh, RadarSat One data. Um, so RadarSat One is a synthetic aperture radar; it uh, yes. can see through clouds and fog. It's it's in space. Yes. So uh, we thought um, that the that that RadarSat could be useful. For detecting icebergs, um, it was well known that it could detect vessels, but uh, but we wanted to look at the iceberg right. problem because right. we 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 uh, the, the the first line of defense on a platform that's producing in the presence of ice yes. is the radar system. The further yes. away you can right. see that ice and that iceberg. The, right. the more you can do about it, the more you can right. like the, you, you, the icebergs you can, are towed away. In fact, so so the further away you know that they're coming, the more you can do to prevent uh, uh,
0: problems. And people might not realize, but you can actually see icebergs that might be a problem off the coast of Newfoundland, like a long time before uh, before they show up because these these things are birthed off like the the coast of Greenland or something, right?
1: Exactly. So um, back in when I started here at Seacor in uh, '91, um, the, the first line of defense was uh, the 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 radar on board the vessels, but uh, they had aircraft to fly around. Air, flying around aircraft is expensive. Yes. Um, and you can only see where the, the aircraft is flying. Yes. So we imagined a situation where uh, you could uh, you could use satellites to see much further afield uh, yes. to where the icebergs are born. Um, back in radar sat one day, so the late '90s and early 2000s, um, we tried to use radar sat to uh, to look for where the icebergs were calving up in Greenland. They they calve in Greenland, they they make their way around the Greenland Peninsula, then come down the Davis Strait and and uh, uh, Baffin Bay area, and finally make their way into the Labrador Sea, uh, where right. they where they where they reach us. But it takes a couple of years for that to happen. Right. Um, because um, over the, the couple of years, it, the, the, it freezes up in the winter, and they stop yes. moving, and in the spring, sure. they, they start moving. So that's, sure. why, that's why we only see icebergs in the spring, because mm-hmm. uh, they, the, the sea ice is melting finally, and yes. the icebergs break free, and they, uh, they make their way down down our way.
0: So now, now, you know, the naive among us would think that an iceberg is a pretty big thing, shouldn't be a problem to, um, to see it. Except, of course, it's, it's in the middle of a bunch of other ice, right? <laughs> that's right. And, and
1: confounding that is the fact that uh, icebergs are a different kind of ice. It's uh, compacted uh. snow. So the radar reflectivity of, of uh, uh, icebergs are not the same as a ship. So, so you, may have, you may have a huge iceberg that's uh, 10 times the size of a ship, and that's its radar reflectivity is still lower because of the fact that it's right. made of this compacted snow and not of metal. If right, it was a huge right. metal berg, well, that would be right, a real sure, problem. Metal reflects <laughs> radar waves, yeah, right. That, that, that's right. So, so that's and and because of the difference between iceberg ice and and sea ice, sea ice is actually formed from seawater uh, when seawater cools down. Um, right. So, so sea ice is
0: frozen. Sea ice is frozen water. But icebergs are compacted snow. Correct. So, so, so they look they, different on radar.
1: They look different, yes. Uh, they look different from a radar reflectivity point of view because um because the freshwater nature of icebergs, the uh the radiation actually penetrates really deep inside the uh-huh. berg. And you can see internal, it's it's hard to be able to pick it all apart, but you could actually see some internal structure mm-hmm. uh in the in the uh, in the radar reflections, and just by t- nature of is- the fact that there's there's various interfaces.
0: Did we know this in 1995? Is this, is this this all stuff that you've, you've learned since you started doing this? Well, we, we, it's one of these
1: things where you speculate. um, And, uh, but you don't have the means to be able to prove it. Right. Um, I in in fact, the technology is only becoming um, mature enough to be able to say that, Hey, you know, that, that, the, the microwave energy that penetrates into an iceberg, you may actually see the bottom part of the iceberg, the bottom right. part that that uh, is is down way way below the water surface. Really? Um, yeah, because it's snow, it's it's fresh water, so right. it may oh. penetrate very deeply. Well, well um, as we all know, seven eighths of the iceberg is below the surface, right? Yes, and in, in fact, uh, so there is some some radiation that does bounce off the bottom of the berg. Most of it. Of the bergs that come down our way, uh, because by the time they hit us, they're they're actively melting. Uh, yes. There's a there's a, a a layer of water on the surface, and we know that uh, quite a bit of the energy is actually from the surface of the berg, and, and but oh. some does penetrate in. It, it's okay. it's fascinating, actually, r- really fascinating, because um, if you look at uh, a radar image, a high resolution radar image of yes. a vessel, you can see the structure of the vessel. And you can right. you can pick out, yeah, I know that vessel is this. Yeah, yeah. Not it's so easy, easy to do in an iceberg. You can well, see structure and it's yeah. re- it becomes very interesting to try and guess what it is.
0: We'll get back to the conversation with Des in just a sec. But first, a word from our sponsor. From November 16th to November 18th, the Canadian space industry invites you to the online Canada Pavilion at Ascend 2020, one of the biggest space events of the year. Through its programs for startups, small and medium-sized enterprises, and multinational corporations, Canada is the place to accelerate commercial space. The Canada Pavilions welcomes any questions about doing business in Canada. Stop by our live chat room and say hello at ascend.events. The Canada Pavilion is a collaboration among the Government of Canada, the Canadian Space Society, and SATCAN, the Satellite Canada Innovation Network. And now, back to the show. Or what was the resolution of a radar sat one image? How how you know how finely could you resolve things? Well, back again back in the
1: day uh, when we started looking at this, um, radar sat one was able to do uh, t- a roughly ten meter ten meter resolution.
0: Okay. Well, that, that's uh, still pre- plenty of pic- plenty of pixels on a on it is plenty side. of pixels. The issue, of
1: course, is the uh, the footprint was not very big. So mm. so you could have this oh, okay. this tiny footprint. Uh, if you wanted to cover the entire Grand Banks with these little 50 by 50 meter, sorry, 50 by 50 kilometer uh, right. uh, postage stamps, it would yes. take you uh, months and months and months to cover it all. In fact, oh. probably years, just because of the area. Um, so what, of course, what uh, what's done is you use very low resolution data to cover the whole area. But then you're missing out on a lot of the icebergs, a lot.
0: So and, and how so, how has resolution improved since those days? Resolution has improved. Um,
1: I would say uh, marginally. There's a couple of things have happened. So Set one was was pretty uh, revolutionary at the time because it was ten meter resolution. That that was really good. This was before the ICONUS and and Worldview days where one meter resolution satellites were available to the public. Yes, this is ten meters are still pretty good. But the de facto standard was. 50, 100 meter pixels just to be able to see say a, a
0: three hundred to five hundred kilometer section okay. just
1: to cover okay. a larger sure. it was so only one satellite
0: a, you could do one low resolution sweep or you could do a whole bunch of little high resolution sort of stuff. right exactly yeah. but now what has changed and this is
1: this is this is huge for monitoring is there's so many satellites up there that yeah. you can cover the grand banks. In fact uh, I remember back in it's interesting. We were always complaining that we'd only get an image here and an image there from radar sat. Radar sat. Yes. Um, uh, Sentinel, a European Space Agency launched the Sentinel satellite series. There was two satellites. Um, right. and, uh And and all of a sudden, uh, we went from a couple of images a week to fifty images a week over this one area. And we were like, "Oh my goodness, what are we going to do?" Right. We uh, we, we got uh, what uh, we uh. asked for. And yeah, yeah. And now now so that was. Uh the entire Grand Bank, say in a week. Um, right. Radar Sat constellation mission, which was just launched in yes. uh, June of last year. That's yes. a three satellite constellation. You know yes. what? It's got it's got similar resolutions, maybe a little bit higher than radar set one. Uh, but the difference is now we've got three satellites, yes. and we can cover the entire Grand Banks and Labrador Sea, which is a huge area. We're talking yeah. millions yeah. of square kilometers. Yeah. In one day, In one we day. can see it every single day. So, so all of a sudden, I can tell you exactly what the ice, where the icebergs are, every single day. And not only that, I can tell you where they've gone. So yeah, I can so extract and more importantly, where they're
0: headed. Yeah,
1: right. I can tell you from from image to image. I can do image to image correlation now, and I can say, hey, hey, this this iceberg here is moving this fast, and it's probably going to go here. The way you know weather forecasts are persistence yeah. is is important in weather forecasting. Well, yeah. in forecasting iceberg movement, persistence
0: is also I, very important. I, I would if I was if I was on board one of those rigs, um, I would want you to be very persistent, Des. <laughs> well, what, what I mean by
1: persistence is if if you know where you're going. Yeah. So if you know where you came yeah. from, you know where you're going
0: to. Right. I mean, that's, but, you that's know, the key. Part what I'm getting at is, is, you know, that must be a really different world for the folks who are out on those, those rigs. This, this must be, this must be the removal of what, what probably was in, you know, in the springtime months, a bit of a preoccupation for people who were doing that for a little. Oh, it's, it's a preoccupation. And think about this during the foggiest
1: times of the year, which is in the spring, the springtime, spring, right? uh, when the icebergs are here. Yeah. Um it could be so foggy that you cannot take off in an aircraft to do air patrol right that is a problem right that is a that is a desperate problem that uh the satellites solve because they wow. don't have to take off no they're there no. And, and and yeah and the nice thing about uh radar set constellation mission is the data is already programmed. So right. you don't have to say you don't have to call up the space agent and say hey can you program me this satellite yeah, image yeah, for yeah, this yeah. afternoon you yeah. don't do that it's it's all done for you and wow. and it's all laid out there it's it's extremely convenient for situational awareness so so, so I, I would sorry go ahead Ian no I was just
0: going to say how different is that than the day you walked into the CSA or or figuratively or literally and said I want to find icebergs with your satellite like like it, it's no. so
1: it's so different it's it's um, I would say that back in the late 90s, uh, Radar Sat 1 for, for icebergs was an academic exercise. Right. Uh, now right. it's critically important. It has gone in 25 years to uh, being a curiosity, right. to being so critically important. The right. International Ice Patrol. By the way, the International Ice Patrol is the organization that was formed after the Titanic disaster. Okay. They are now transitioning with our help, yes, to, from their aircraft to to satellites. Wow. Um, and and RadarSat constellation mission is is uh, helping them. Uh, the European satellites that I mentioned, Sentinel One, that's helping as well. So oh, so but- they are slowly transitioning. Uh, they're they're a conservative organization, right, uh, like right. like all safety yeah, yeah, organizations yeah, yeah. would be,
0: but they're transitioning to satellites. They're integrating more and more, right. and that so, is a huge deal. So were you one of the first people who realized that we could use satellites this way? Were you literally one of the first people who walked into the Canadian Space Agency and said, <laughs> hey, let's go looking for icebergs? Uh, I, I would like to say that. Um, I'm really proud of the
1: team here. Um, yeah but but, I, but what I can say is uh, over the um, almost 30 years that I've been here, yeah. um, I, I and my team have done a lot to show how right. icebergs can be, can be seen by radar sat, by satellite satellites, yeah. and yes. various and various applications for them. We, we, we look for them for safety. yeah, we also look for them for tourism. One, right. of our, right. one of our uh, – uh, one of my employees here imagined to, to us aloud, you know what it would yeah. be great? We, we look, we, we look uh, for the oil and gas companies uh, yeah. for icebergs. What if we use the same satellites to, uh, to, to tell the tourists where right. they can look for icebergs? Where they can find them. The, the difference but, is we're looking offshore yeah. for the oil and gas industry. We're looking onshore for, uh, for the tourists. Right, but it's so, not that
0: much different when you're seeing it from space. It's just no, the, it's not. It's the same thing. It's just that you're looking right. in a little different area. So, so I guess what I'm getting at, though, is how different the world is in this. in, you know, you've been living in the world of of finding icebergs for 35 years. Um, it, it seems like it must be an incredibly different place now than it was when you started doing this 35 years.
1: It, it is. It's it's gone from, and I would uh, just point out uh, the oil and gas industry here. They've gone from um, uh, not thinking that it would be useful to them, to yeah. them it's being critically important to their operations. Right. right. Because they can we, see they can see icebergs on the Labrador Sea that they never could see before.
0: Right. Right. Well, must and and that's because of the space application. We 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 couldn't have gotten there without the satellite. So, so it yes, must be for sure. To have been part of the sort of pioneering effort to bring that new technology and literally make make operations possible that probably wouldn't be possible otherwise. I mean, you probably, there are some risks you just couldn't take when you're, when you're doing this the old-fashioned way.
1: Uh, I uh, I keep telling people, um, what, one of the things I will brag about is the fact that iceberg detection from space was invented at Seacore. I, I can say yes. that proudly. Sure. Uh, we were the first to look at it. Uh, wow. We've been looking at it for a long time, and, and we, we are the best in the world at it. Uh, because we we are constantly looking for other improvements. Um, wow. The latest thing is uh, machine learning and deep learning oh yes. uh, of of uh, of icebergs we We sponsored a with uh, Equinor, an oil and gas company in Norway, okay. uh, a kaggle competition uh, that was at the time it was the most popular kaggle competition that's oh, ever been hosted. What? Kaggle. Kaggle is a, is an, is a, a machine learning, an online machine learning environment. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, and, and the Kaggle is owned by Google, but, but Kaggle, uh, okay. they host competitions, it. Uh, yeah. it, machine learning competitions. And, and, and ours was one of the, was the most popular. We had yeah. uh, oh. three 3,300 teams working Me. on the problem for us. Wow. And, and that, that, that was a huge innovation for us. So, okay. so we're, we, we've been we've been uh, looking at this um, ever since the machine learning aspects. It's it's,
0: it's very very cool. It, it's really I mean I, I want to talk about what you're doing with with the radar um, data now, but I just think it must be fascinating to have you probably have you know um, younger folks who who join corp who say uh, synthetic aperture radar. That's the thing that we use to detect icebergs with, right? and and and, you know and literally that even wasn't one of the applications we thought we were going to use it for but now it's so commonplace that people probably don't even realize that wasn't wasn't what it was invented to do
1: well if you look locally here in the province this tourism thing that i mentioned there's a website called icebergfinder.com yeah so whenever i tell people hey you know what we're the people behind Mm icebergfinder.com then they're like oh
0: yeah okay yeah 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 so so that's uh, that's a bit of brand recognition there not so much of an academic exercise anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So so what else can you do with synthetic aperture radar besides finding icebergs? Yes. Well,
1: uh, one of the things that we learned very quickly uh, with with iceberg monitoring, it took us a long time to operationalize it and, and make it as a yes. service, but yes. it only lasts for four months of the year. Right. So, so, so if you hired a bunch of people to do that, what are they <laughs> going to do for the rest of the year? Right, we're talking about the true seasonal employees. We need another seasonal industry in Newfoundland. Yeah, so uh, we looked at um, being the curious bunch we are, we wanted to look at other things besides icebergs. Uh, We know ice really well, Uh, sea ice is a big thing for us. Uh, A good example is in 2004, there was a huge flood in Badger, Newfoundland. Um, What happened was the, the river froze up. It jammed. Uh, it yes. flooded a town called Badger, yes. and yes. Uh, it was in the wintertime. So the next day, the uh, everything froze over. So the entire oh my, community oh, was frozen no. in ice.
0: Oh my! It was goodness. it was
1: terrible. So not only was it flooded, which is bad enough.
0: Yes, but it then, froze.
1: <laughs> so cow. everything was frozen for for months before before it thawed. Really? So the provincial government came to us. Uh, the water resources division and said. Guys, can can you use satellites to to monitor river ice? Right. So we know uh, we, that's we can't happen. do it effectively. The river is too long. It's too dangerous to, to be right. uh, uh flying helicopters along the river all the time and right. inexpensive. Right. How about satellites? Uh, yeah. we have been monitoring uh rivers in Newfoundland, Alberta, Northwest Territories, the Yukon right. Right. ever since two thousand four.
0: Really?
1: Because it became uh, another critically important um, application of uh, of satellites
0: to, to monitor rivers. And find what, what might be a potential problem, then there's intervention somebody can take to yeah, exactly. It.
1: Well, I think uh, a lot of it that there are there are mitigation measures uh, you could you could uh, well evacuation the worst case, but uh, sure, um, sure. There are there are certainly mitigation measures that you could do. A lot. Some some people actually bring excavators out on the ice and start beating really? up the ice that way sometimes yeah. it's, it's very it's, it's not much you can do but it, it is an advanced warning in yeah, case sure. of a flood right so wow uh then that, that's, that's, that's 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 one example we did uh yeah. we've uh uh recently uh in the past uh six years started looking at uh wetlands uh from okay. space okay um and the reason why it's important here in Newfoundland is one big wetland. It's just, it's the sponge, right? <laughs> it does have <laughs> it, that reputation. <laughs> it does, if you fly over the island and look down, it's like it's, uh, well, it's, it's, a, it, it's a land of lakes, right? It's one of those
0: and, uh, places. And, uh, and I can tell you as a person who had the misfortune as a child to go camping at Grosmore National Park, wetland is the way I would describe it. Yes, yeah, right? for sure. And so uh, one, of the, one
1: of the issues here on the island was the fact that uh, we had no wetlands inventory. Wetlands huh. are critically important, uh, understanding them for development purposes. You start okay. paving over a wetland, and all of a sudden you get a problem because wetlands are sponges. Uh, and yes, if you pave are. over yes. a wetland, you end yes. up creating problems for the municipality. So, so we have created uh, Newfoundland and Labrador's first wetlands inventory, complete Wetlands inventory, I might add. A lot of um, the wetlands inventory are spotty. They're they're done manually by by yes, people going out yes. in the field. But we've created a a, a reasonably high resolution uh, wetlands inventory map from satellites. Yes. Um, we've used uh, w- well, one of our um, brilliant engineers uh, yes. has used uh, Google Earth Engine. Um, they've taken hundreds and hundreds of thousands of satellite image and and created this wetlands inventory Uh, so it's this
0: this machine learning these machine learning algorithms and and now can you monitor that to see if it's uh, growing or disappearing
1: now once now now that you have the
0: baseline map um, there are
1: archives of images being collected over time with a i wouldn't say a snap but almost a snap you can uh, uh you can create a yearly change inventory. So you can wow. see this is the baseline. And now you can create the change. And right. we're not talking back uh 30 years ago or 25 years ago when when SAT one was launched, uh it would you would need you would need teams and teams of people to yes. analyze that yes. hundreds of thousands yes. of images. Um, yep. Now uh, you can do it all on the cloud. Uh wow. and not not with uh like we've got a couple of people working on it
0: um right. and analyzing of
1: hundreds people. of thousands of images. A Couple of really smart people probably. Uh a- absolutely. Um the the we are also looking at uh, water quality. Water quality is an important thing. We uh, uh SAR uh, synthetic aperture is known for for being able to detect slicks. Uh, of course. We yes. uh, uh sl- slicks are a very common application of uh, yes. of, uh, of SAR and uh, we are the guys who uh Whenever there's a, a spill-off, sure they come to us
0: uh, yes. for yes.
1: uh for, for mapping of the slicks. Right. Um, there's been a couple of incidents here, um so, somewhat high profile, but uh what we are what the nice thing about SAR is uh you can show when the slick is gone, when the slick is not a danger anymore. Right. That's right. that's not and, and you can show where it is, you can yes. show the extent, uh but right. but more importantly, you can show when it's gone. And when it's gone, right.
0: it's no longer a danger. So interesting. Well, we're almost, uh, I I could talk about this stuff all day. I (laughs) I get the feeling you could too. I I could. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're almost out of time. Um, so, but let me ask you the usual question. Uh, you know, what's next for, for DES power and C-Core and synthetic aperture radar? What, what are you going to pioneer next now that you've, uh, done all this?
1: One of our, um, one of our projects that we have now, um, is a, uh, A SAR transponder. Um, There is a um, a synthetic aperture radar being built by Airbus, uh, funded by the Canadian Space Agency, called biomass. It's 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 launched specifically to look at um, forestry biomass uh, over the entire world. Over the entire Um, world. When when you launch a satellite, if, if if the satellite runs into trouble or you want to test how things are working, you just can't. Do a spacewalk and and, no. and tweak some buttons there, right? That's no. not the way things work in
0: space. No, it isn't.
1: You yes. you have to be able to determine the health of the satellite from the ground. So right. we we've pioneered uh, transponder satellite transponders. That that's yes. the one big thing that we are working on now uh, for Airbus and for the European Space Agency, a yes. uh, satellite transponder for bio,
0: for the biomass mission. So um, so now you are actually building the instrument to go to space not just look at not just using the data.
1: Well this is this is a uh, this is an instrument that stays on the ground but it communicates with oh. the satellite. Oh okay. It, it okay. it's able to tell you you can tell by looking at the data that the satellite collects whether right. the satellite is working properly. It's oh, okay. it's it's very cool. So
0: that's so the, you're not the, only the looking- back at the earth you're you're talking to the satellite as well uh,
1: yeah it's it's uh um it's you're you're acting as a uh what's called a precision reflector okay uh, it's a very precise instrument um and uh you can if if the satellite reads
0: the energy differently than it should you you can yeah. tell whether oh okay we're we're gonna get of trouble here so fascinating well, it's been really fun talking to you today, Des, and, and I think I was right at the beginning when I said this is a classic story of someone who who got to space and realized a lot of stuff they could do there, even if they n- never leave the planet every day. Yes, absolutely. But, and and I, and I
1: never had any notions about going to space, but I can tell you, my job is extremely cool. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I, I continue to come to work here. Yeah. I mean, I've been here since 91. I continue yeah. to come to work here. Because the work is constantly changing, it's constantly uh, there. There are innovations happening every year, and you just just chasing down those innovations is a, is a really fun
0: job. And 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 maybe more to the point, you've managed to make room for forty other people's to enjoy yeah. those things as well. So
1: keeping keeping people employed is important, but keeping people employed in very enjoyable things obviously is very rewarding.
0: Well, very rewarding. We, one of the things we love to hear about on this show is making new Terranauts. So as much as you've done anything else, you've done a whole lot of that. So,
1: well, we've got, uh, we've got 40 Terranauts here now. And uh, I can tell you that, uh, that, you know, we do have turnover. There's there's lots of our Terranauts yeah. out there uh, yeah. and, and working in other companies as well. Well, that's,
0: that's fantastic. Thanks for talking to us today. On Thanks, Ian. All right. Bye now. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Join us in a couple of weeks when we'll have another installment of A Terranaut's Guide to Leaving the Planet, which is our story of humanity's journey to space. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, feel free to leave us a review on your favorite podcatcher app, respond with some feedback, or recommend us to a friend. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Come on, let's keep the chatter down.